If you have your Bibles in your will, let's go to Job chapter 23 this morning, the 23rd chapter of the book of Job. When you have found that in your will, I would love to ask you to please stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'm going to try to finish up this morning by 10 till. I'm going to rush through this, amen, second service. I'm going to take my time and wine and dine, all right? So open up your spirits today. Let the Lord pour himself into you, and uh, I believe today, amen, this is going to be a blessing to you and encouragement to you. I want you to look at me before we begin to read today. Please don't read the screen. Some of you already have, and you're waiting on the second shot. Look at me for a second. We'll say this in the second service as well. I've been doing this since the beginning of January. It's been quite effective, so please listen closely. I'm about to throw you a pitch. Those of you watching by live stream, I'm just going to throw you a pitch. My job, my reasoning for being in Corbin, Kentucky, is not to play games. I don't have time to dance. I'm not here to throw curveball, spitball, or slow ball. I'm just to throw a fastball. My objective is to throw it across home plate. Three things are about to happen in this room right now. Some of you are going to catch this. Some of you are going to miss this. Somebody going to get hit by this. I pray today before you leave this room, even if you get hit by it, you take the time, scramble, to make sure you leave the field with the ball in your glove. Catch this, my friend. Don't miss it. Please don't miss it. Job chapter 23, verse 8. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doeth work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. My thought today, quite fitting for the season that Freedom Point has been in, when God does not intervene. Say that with me today. When God does not intervene. You can be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I know personally that the church has been through about with my dear friend, Brother Benny. I couldn't help it when I came in today, sat on the front row. Pretty sure, don't know for a fact, Benny was probably rolled down here in front of the pulpit. Honored, respected. I wasn't able to make that meeting. I didn't call a lot because the family was under a lot of things going. they're going through. I did make a phone call and requested that Benny know that I love him. Benny Fields made a difference in my life. I'm not here today to centrally focus on him. I believe the church, amen, is going forward, not backward. I get that. But with that, there's scar tissue in the house. And it's not just sitting right there. There's situations and things, amen, that go on in all of our lives. You said, brother, we don't, you don't know what I'm going through. And you know what, Freedom Point? None of you, including Sean and Angie, know what Wendy and Daniel is going through either. You don't know what our loss has been since the last time we were here. You don't know the things that we're going through on a personal level. You don't know the conflict. You don't know the stress level. You don't know the frustrations. And you don't know the time since I was here last time that I've just started to throw the towel in and quit and say I'm done with this thing. I didn't come to back up and dump on you today, but I believe, amen, it's vital and it's important that our hearts connect today that you don't think that I'm on a plateau above you. You don't come in here and leave today thinking that this preacher's presented himself as being better than you. We get beat up out there. We get kicked in the gut out there. 
We get ostracized, excommunicated, and then we walk in here and sometimes it's much of the same. Theatrics and drama. Some of us are just tired. We're weary. Don't have a sad soul in the saying, God's been good to me. God's been good to you. But I'm not one of these type guys that comes in, amen, is comfortable wearing a mask. I've never been comfortable wearing camouflage and painting it up, Nicholas, and sophisticating it and acting like everything's all right when I'm bleeding out inside. So today I'm going to preach a message I've never heard a preacher preach. I'm fixing to grab a bull literally by the horns. I hope to God through all of this you just see my heart even if you disagree with me. Please don't take it personal if I say something that doesn't necessarily sit right with you or doesn't really sound right and don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Just see my heart today. You put on my shoes and come up here and grab a hold of what I'm fixing to preach today when there's no, there's no outline to it. You can't Google this message up and get an outline to it because preachers won't tackle it. When God does not intervene. Everybody loves to talk about when he does show up. When he shows out, miracles break out, supernatural takes place. Oh, we preachers, amen, and wrap our fist around that thing and wear it out till the cows come home. But nobody wants to talk about the times, amen, when God does nothing. I will today. My objective is to connect some dots, put color on the canvas, and maybe somebody will leave this room today, life, making a little more sense. Questions that I've been prone to ask in seasons of conflict, Pastor, is where are you, God? Why am I not healed? Why will you not heal my spouse? Right now as I speak, Wendy's not dead. We're not preparing for a funeral. Got up three times throughout the night, blood pressure 150, 160, all last night. Going to the heart doctor. She's 46 years of age. Thyroids are good. Heart is good. Uh, kidneys are good. So yesterday or Friday, she went to the neurologist for a brain scan. We haven't got those tests back yet. Something's going wrong with her. Don't know what it is. And I've asked lately, God, really? She's 46. Can you imagine the things that have been running through my mind? It's natural, guys. I'm human just like you. Why am I not delivered like everybody else? Where are you? What are you doing in my life? How did I get where I am? What did I do to deserve this? Why in the world did this happen, God? Why can't I find a job? Why did I lose the one I had? The list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. There will be times when God is silent on this journey of Christianity. Noah endured the storm for 40 days and 40 nights. But then he drifted, Debbie, for another 150 days before landing on Mount Ararat. Can I say this today? Sometimes it's not the storm that gets me. It's the drifting. Sometimes we make it through the x-ray that says we have cancer. Bam, that's hard enough. Really? But then there comes the drifting. The time of silence between how long, how severe is my situation. Will this be the end? Is this what's going to take me out? Sometimes we make it through the funeral. It's done. It's over with. The roses have faded on the grave. But then comes the drifting season. What's going on? Where are you, God? 
Why didn't you intervene? Why did you allow this to happen in our life? Why won't you speak and bring some clarity to me, Lord? I remember when mom died. Um, it's probably not on the same scale as a spouse or a child, but you can't replace mom. Can't replace mom. And I was in Africa when Wendy called and gave me the phone call. They found mother in the hallway dead of a massive heart attack. I came home. I preached mom's funeral. Had 28 people saved around mom's casket. We buried her. We throw the flowers on it. We grieved. We whined. We cried. Then you go through all those first times. You don't understand that until you've been there. The first time you go out to eat. The first time you go home. The first time you go back to church. The first time you go on vacation. The first time you go get groceries. First time you do this. The first time you do that. You go through the first times. And, and, and it, it never goes away because there's always another first time waiting on you when you get back to Branson, Missouri. And remember that over there on that side of the pool is where we sit. Right over there is where we stay. We went to the theater. And we sat right over there and we watched this comic show. Hello, guys. And I went through eight months of my life and God wouldn't speak to me, wouldn't talk to me, but frankly, I was ticked off about it. He'd give me preaching material. He'd give me a word for somebody, but man, it was tough. God, why won't you talk to me? What did I do to deserve this? Time and time went by, and eight months later, I'm out in the yard cutting grass. Had on Renata, my wife beater. <laughs> Amen. We talked about that T-shirt last night. They buy at Walmart, tank top. Had on my wife beater. We even got on that subject because of Derek. Moving right along. Amen. <laughs> and we were talking about the wife beater and, and, and had on my straw hat and had my, my, my shorts out there and I'm out there cutting grass and out of nowhere the Spirit of God speaks to me. He said, Daniel, it's been eight months since I heard him call my name. And I stopped, cut the lawnmower off, disengaged the blade, pulled my hat off and hung it. I said, God, you just called my name. I wasn't listening to Christian music. I wasn't listening to Dr. David Jeremiah's daily devotional. I didn't have Tony Evans plugged in. No, I'm cutting grass, thinking about pollen, thinking about allergies, thinking about how hot it is, thinking about I'm be glad when I'm done. And out of nowhere, Daniel, I said, God, why have you been so silent to me? For eight months, God, I've been seeking you, and you ain't said a word to me. Why? And these were the words God spoke to me. It's about to liberate somebody in this room. The Spirit of God spoke to me these words. And he said, the teacher is always silent when the student takes the test. Job was being tested. There's always a reason for God not showing up. Job's a righteous man. You better know he wasn't being punished. Job was being tested. He said, behold, I go forward, and you're not there. I go backward, you're not there. I look to the left hand, you're not there. I go to the right hand, you're not there. What in God's name's going on in my life? You know, the greater the test, the greater the trust God has in you. My purpose behind this is not to destroy anybody's faith in this house. There are times when God does intervene. 
I've seen miracles, Pastor. I've seen times when God healed cancer. I've seen people heal right before my very eyes. I watched a woman with a gourd hanging off the side of her neck. I watched alfalfa on little rascals. Back when I was a kid, he was a tall, lanky man, thick bottle gold coat of glasses. No, he wasn't wearing no twig, amen, but still jet black hair. I watched alfalfa as a Pentecostal preacher, a holiness preacher when I was a child, holding a count meeting in Mud Tavern, Decatur, Alabama. And I watched amen, alfalfa take a towel and put around this woman woman's neck, jerk the towel off, amen, this is before uh, preachers are so crooked they screw their socks on, okay, hello, and I watched when he jerked that towel off that thing, amen, the gourd was going off of her neck, that's what our kids are missing today is an encounter with God, they get an encounter with musicians, they get an encounter with worship and praise, they get an encounter with the pastor, they get an encounter with the theatrics of the church, amen, but very few can say, amen, and remember the day, the moment, the time, amen, when they had a true, amen, God divine encounter, amen, before the throne of God that rocked their world, amen, and when they went out in sin was the very thing that brought them back home. The Bible says train a child in the way they ought to go. I think this takes more today than just taking them to church, amen, teaching them John three sixteen and VBS, they need an encounter with God. There's times when God doesn't seem to show up. We all know of godly families and some in this room that have suffered and still are. They prayed and nothing happened. Their lives filled with good works. Something tragic takes place. Satan wants you to become bitter toward God over the fact that it appears God's failed you. And if you're not careful, it's through the season of drifting that'll happen. Because drifting, you feel numb. Drifting, you feel lifeless. Drifting, you frankly don't sleep. You're irritable, you're frustrated, and you're easily ticked off about any little thing that happens. You find yourself becoming overly sensitive and overanalyzing everything in life because often, amen, God doesn't feel, amen, near you. feels a thousand miles away, and you start taking pain personal. I'm telling you right now, guys, your pain can be your friend. Started to delete this out of my notes because I, I felt when I wrote this down, this could come across being a bit sarcastic. But your pain can be your friend. At least it still lets you know you're alive. Paul and Silas would have never got out of prison until they learned to praise God in their pain. That's the true measure of character, friend, is learning to praise God in the pain. When Paul and Silas praised God in their pain, not when they healed up, I mean, not after everybody pitied them, not after they got a pat on the back and said, we're sorry for doing that, I mean, not when everything was all right and the scabs were gone. I mean, I'm talking about why they were bleeding, while they were bruised, while they were beat to a pulp, when life didn't make any sense, when everything was upside down, when they were wondering, what in God's name did we do to deserve this? All we were doing was loving you, God, in the pain. Then God shook the foundations, amen, where they were. Have you ever noticed you can praise God better in the valley than you can on the mountaintop? Give me a little volume if you can, brother. That kind of praise comes out of desperation. That kind of praise comes out of sincerity. That kind of praise is produced out of brokenness. In the valley, you offer real praise, not some form of counterfeit religion that's offered out of tradition and routine because it's the last stands of amazing grace, and that's where we praise the Lord. God doesn't just want us to praise him on the mountaintops, but in the midnight hour of our experiences. So here's the question. Listen to me. Brother Danny, why didn't God intervene before Paul and Silas got beat? We're not talking about two rapists here. We're not talking about two homosexuals, amen, in Iran where they throw them off of buildings. No, we're talking about two men of God. 
Nicholas, why, why didn't God intervene? Paul and Silas are getting whipped at a beating post, and God does nothing. They put him in shackles and chains, throw him in the inner prison, turn the lights out, slam the door, and God does nothing. Time is passing. God does nothing. They're bleeding. God's doing nothing. They're bruised. God's doing nothing. Battered, innocently, pain. God, don't even show up. Paul had been saved only a short time. That's bad enough right there. Not talking about a 25-year-old veteran right here who's been through a few storms in his life and has got some, some uh, a carcass laying back there with some honey in it, something he can go back to a past victory in his life and draw some substance out of it. No, let me tell you something. Man, he's living in a terrible time. Hey, man, they planned to kill Paul, put him in a basket, let him down a wall. Why wouldn't God just send an angel and get him out of trouble? God has things to teach us when God does not intervene. If you're climbing up the rough side of the mountain, you ought to shout right now, and I'll tell you why. Because you sure can't climb a smooth one. Amen? If you've prayed, to God to move the mountain and God hasn't moved it. Get your climbing gear on baby. He's trying to build character in your life. If God hasn't moved it, make up your mind to go over it because the Bible says that all things, even what you're going through right now, work together for good. Amen. To them that love God. I found this scripture this morning. Amen. It says Proverbs 24:10 says this. Man did this verse ring my bell this morning at 730. It says if thou faint in the day of adversity Thy strength is small. If thou faint in the day of adversity, it's because your strength is small. Well, how do you get strength? From the joy of the Lord. Where do you find the joy of the Lord? Not sitting at home making a career out of your problem. You come to freedom point and get in the presence of God for there is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. So when you get in the presence of God, amen, you find the joy of God and the joy of the Lord is my strength. So the more of his presence, the more visitation, the more committed I am to the house of God, the work of God, the will of God, the word of God, amen, to the purpose of God, the plan of God, the destiny God's put on my life, amen, the more committed I am to him, the more joy I find. The more joy I find, the more strength I receive. The more strength I receive, I don't have to worry about fainting in the day of adversity. Doesn't have to happen that way. We have all had bad things happen to us. But God wants us to know that even in the bad things, it's working together for good. It is the oyster that is irritated by the sand that makes the priceless pearl. Our antagonist is our helper. It strengthens our muscle. It sharpens our wit. It develops our skill and transforms our spine into steel. To solve the greatest problem is to reflect your greatest potential. Amen. An example is Helen Keller. Amen. Born blind and deaf, yet graduated college with honors. Another man would be Glenn Cunningham. Some of you never heard his name. Glenn Cunningham, when he was five years of age, was burned up in a schoolhouse fire, and it burned 90% of his body. Third-degree burn. Said he wouldn't even live much less ever walk again. But at 46 years of age, my age, Glenn Cunningham ran one mile in almost four minutes. I'm telling you, amen, to solve the greatest problem is to reflect your tremendous potential. No one ever gets beyond the reach of problems. 
There's no wall high enough, no door strong enough, no white man wise enough to evade all the problems of life. You can't drink enough alcohol to evade problems. You can't smoke enough dope to evade problems. You can't take enough pills to evade problems. You can't shoot up enough meth to evade problems. Tranquilizers will not work. Sexual fantasy will not work. Amen. Breast implants won't work. A psychiatrist won't work. You're going to look funny, honey, when you turn 83. Come on, amen. Hello. You can't pray enough. You can't fast enough. Be holy or obedient enough to avoid the problems of life. Rough times are in store for everybody in this house, amen. Nobody is immune from the troubles and trials of life. Being saved is no hedge from trouble. It's just the end of being defeated in my trouble. God wants you to know that there are going to be times when you're going to have battles emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally, mentally. He also wants you to know that those of you, man, that love him and obey him, all things, including what you're facing right now, works together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Peter nudges us to remember that we're not home yet. Our trials are working for our good. After Paul's conversion, he goes to Lystra, and they pick up rocks and they stone him, Angie. Surely as the stones are hitting the apostle Paul, Paul had to wonder, God, it's about time you showed up. Where in the world are you? They're stoning him, and God does nothing. But as a result, Richie, Paul was called up into the third heaven. Let me tell you the tragedy. Watch this. Listen closely to what I'm fixing to say. Paul is being pelted by stones, stoned to death. Obviously, it knocked him out because the Bible says he was called up into the third heavens. Had God intervened in the stoning of Paul, you wouldn't have to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Grave, where is thy victory? Death, where is your sting? Because that is where, amen, Paul got the revelation when while he was being stoned in the city of Lystra, amen, there's where Paul got the revelation, amen, that we use so often around a gravestone, amen. Amen, it seems today in 2020, most churches I'm preaching in, they want the revelation, they just don't want the rocks. Huh? James and Peter in Herod's prison. James gets his head cut off. The next day, God sends an angel to deliver Peter. Think about how raw that situation was. Peter's family was shouting the house down, rejoicing because God showed up. Can you imagine James's family? They're just down the street wondering, God, you missed it by 24 hours. You, could, you know, you could have sent an angel 24 hours earlier. James's family is having a funeral while Peter's family is having a festival. Hello, Paul killed followers of Christ. Now he's preaching to the same exact crowd he persecuted. Can you imagine how the widows must have felt while Paul was preaching? The ladies of the men that Paul had killed. Paul, I'm glad your life has been turned around. Paul, I'm grateful for your testimony. Thank God he finally got to you. But God, why didn't you say that man before he killed my husband? Huh? These are real people. These are raw emotions are involved here. These were ladies. These were men and ladies. Can I just get graphic so I can break it practical? They sweated just like you sweat. They burped. They blinked their eyes. They scratched their itches. They fixed their hair. Come on, folks. God didn't intervene in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, knowing that man would fall and would cause the son to die on the cross. God's more interested in developing character than just simply solving problems. 
Sometimes we're in trouble. We'll start to fast and pray, attend church more frequent. The more God is silent, the more we seek him. It's through those times we begin to mature. Sometimes God doesn't intervene because he wants to display grace. And herein lies, amen, bringing it back to my mama and the great patriarchs and the generals and the faith that have moved on. Sometimes I wonder, God, why do you take that one and leave that heathen sitting over there? Amen. Lord, why in the world do you take a good man that's beneficial to his church? Why do you? Because the devil didn't kill him. Make that clear right now. For all these name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, wealth and health preachers. Devil didn't kill Benny Fields and devil didn't kill Pat Couch. God's idea. Don't sound right either, does it? One of the two. God promoted my mother. I said, God, why'd you take my mom and leave that demon-possessed uncle I got over there that got off a boat from Vietnam smoking his pot? He ain't done nothing but reproduce the same seed just like him. All he does is a curse of society. We would none of us in this family to miss that man if you took him right now and wrapped his head around an oak tree. Come on, amen. Why in the world you take my mama and you leave him? And God spoke to him and said, because your mama was ready and your uncle's not. Huh? I don't understand that thinking. My God. Listen, God didn't intervene when Jesus hung on a cross. That's why he said, why hast thou forsaken me? Instead, God showed grace to mercy and mercy to you and me. Sometimes God wants to display his grace. Jesus hung on the cross to put a face on grace. He didn't say, when I get off this cross, I'm going to get you for what you've done to me. What a great lesson for us to learn today. God will allow those that are saved to suffer and sometimes even die to win those that are lost and backslid. When they buried my mom and put her in front of the casket, I gave an altar call, and 28 people gave their life to Jesus Christ laid out around my mama's casket. God took one to save 28. I'm telling you, thank God. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts, and I'm so glad they're not. Sometimes God will allow life to hit you head on, so that's what's in you will come out. If bitterness and resentment's in you, it's what you're going to produce. When Stephen was being stoned, God did nothing to stop it. i got to close here, guys. I'm running out of time fast. Why didn't God intervene in the death of Stephen, such a great man of God? Because the Bible says they laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. This man later named, had his name changed to Paul. As they're stoning Stephen, listen to his last words. Lord, let not this charge descend to the charge. Those words were ringing in the ears of Paul as he watched Stephen die. I'm going to connect the dots and be done. Paul thought within himself, what? This man's praying for us. He's asking forgiveness for us and we're killing him. I don't have a God like that. Can you imagine the sleepless nights that Paul must have had? The stoning of Stephen set Paul up for an encounter with God. And within a matter of days, Paul was converted, knocked off his horse on a road to Damascus when Paul saw the faith of them that were suffering it showed him the grace of God sometimes God wants to use a face to display his grace we don't know how that God is working in our problems causing all things to work together for good there are those in your family that are lost and they're watching to see how you handle your adversity little boy trying to put together a puzzle and it wouldn't fit so he got frustrated and threw all the pieces in the garbage the father come by and picked all the pieces up in the garbage and said, can I put this together for you? He said, give it a shot, but it won't fit. It doesn't work. I'm frustrated with it. I'm done with it, Dad. It doesn't. The dad put it together in a split second. Little boy looked up and said, how'd you do that so quickly? The father said, the difference is this, son. You're just looking at the pieces, but your father's looking at the picture. And so often all we look at is the pieces that are missing or the pieces that won't fit. God sees the whole picture. Joseph was a good kid. 
He had a dream. His brothers get jealous and throw him into a pit. God doesn't do one thing. But if he'd never been thrown into a pit, he'd never been sold into slavery. Had he not been sold into slavery, he'd never met Potiphar. Had he not met Potiphar, he'd never met Mrs. Potiphar. Had he not met Mrs. Potiphar, he'd never been accused of rape. The wife, if he'd never been accused of rape, he'd never been thrown into prison. Had he not been thrown into prison for 19 years when God didn't intervene, he never would have met the butler and the baker. Had he not met the butler and the baker, he'd never met Pharaoh. Had he not met Pharaoh, the world would have starved to death, including his family. And it all came back to one thing. When God does not intervene. God didn't tell Joseph all these things would happen before they did. No, the whole time Joseph's been in prison, there's not one mention of God intervening. The reason God doesn't tell us what he's planned for our future is because we walk by faith and not by sight. My closing point, Paul and Silas in prison. Had God not allowed Paul and Silas to be beaten to a pulp, bruised, wounded, and thrown into a prison? <laughs> Looking at it from this angle, I'm glad he didn't intervene for Paul and Silas. Just like I must say also, I'm glad there's times in my life when God hasn't intervened either. Looking back on it now, it's been a terrible thing, had he? I wouldn't be the man of God I am today if he bailed me out of every little situation I went through and babied me. In reality, listen, they would have never sung the song at midnight. Had God intervened? Had they not sung the song at midnight, the jail wouldn't have been shaken. Had the jail not been shaken, the jailer would have never cried, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Not only the jailer was saved, but his whole entire household, all because God does not intervene. I'll close with this today and listen closely. We okay for two more minutes? I was out on Lake Gunnersville fishing with Caleb some time back. This is powerful, man. I've waited all week to share this story right now this morning. Here's the punchline to the message. And I remember, amen, we're out there fishing. I've always been fascinated with the bald eagle, especially since I've become a preacher and studied the life, Danny, of a bald eagle and the similarities spiritually, physically, how they relate so much to humanity. And it's just amazing, a bald eagle. We're out there fishing, and I'm watching this bald eagle's nest up in the top of this big, tall tree. I'm ahead of Caleb by four or five fish, so I laid my rod down, let him lay back there and suck wind. And I'm up there with my binoculars, and I'm checking out the bald eagle, and I'm looking, amen, it's got a mama, it's got a papa. Two little fuzzy heads, yellow beaks hanging over the edge. I thought, man, there's a whole family nested in that thing. It's cool. So I'm watching, watching, watching. Pop Eagle gets up on the edge of it. He launches that thing, man. Six feet span, wings out. Right over the top of my boat. You could hear the wind in his feathers as he went across the top of the boat. Went off in search of me knowing what eagles do and what his first priority is every morning he gets up. Because it was really early in the morning. There was a little bit of fog on the water. It's because the first thing a father eagle will do when he leaves the nest is the first thing he does is he goes out and finds some green spirey, some ivy, some kind of something he can bring back and give to his love as a token of affection so he knows how she loves to nest like every lady in the house does. Amen. And so she weaves it into her nest. And so he takes care of mama. Then he goes off in search of food to take care of the babies. So he's gone. And I'm watching this baby eagle, Renata, keep getting closer and closer to the edge of that nest. And I told Caleb, I said, that little fella is just going to fall out of that thing. And Caleb said, and you're going to do what? I said, well, we'll drop this trolling motor, get that fishing net, swoop him up and take him to the house. And mama's going to kill you? I said, well, she's going to have it to do, son. He said, dad, that's a federal crime. I said, it ain't a federal crime to take him home and feed him. It's a federal crime, amen, to kill him. I'm trying to justify what I know I can't really do. But I'm fascinated. Sitting here having a dialogue with Caleb, and I hear, turn around, look, man, and he's coming down head over. He's running to those doorways. He 
he's spiraling like one of them little helicopter things. You find on a limb and throw it up and it spins down. He's coming down really slow, amen. He's twirling around and around and around and around and around. I don't know if he jumped out, fell out, or mama kicked him out, amen. It would be a good idea too. Amen, but he's coming down, and I'm thinking, my God, he's really, it's really happening. I dropped the trolling motor, man. I turned that thing on high. I stomped the pedal, grabbed the fishing net. I'm trying my best to get that boat going a little faster, amen. I'm trying my best to get over there where that eagle is. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Derek, right across the top of my bass boat, just like he left, amen, he didn't say a word, brother. He wasn't screaming. He wasn't panicking. He wasn't frantic about nothing. He had it. On the one who was falling. My God, I'm fixing to run. All of a sudden, he came across the top of my boat. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. He swooped down and caught that baby eagle about that far above the water and put him on his back and took him through the pine thicket out of sight. And I was getting ready last week. And God spoke to me to come to Freedom Point and tell somebody in the 845 service these words, baby. You cannot fall faster than the Father can fly. I said, You cannot fall faster then the father can fly God's got a plan God has a destiny God has a reason even when he does not intervene the teacher is always silent when the student takes the test stand with me Nicholas will you play something for me sir still calling him son he's a grown man <laughs> God has spoken this morning. And I know we're supposed to, and I don't mean no disrespect by when I say this. It's just Daniel Couch and his personality. Don't read into this and get offended. I know tradition is we're supposed to herd this cattle out. Pause 45 minutes, bring another herd, and start over again. We've come too far this morning. Too much pain, too much agony, too much hurt, too much depression, too much frustration. They just tried to accommodate Sunday school. Rush through an altar call and create a miscarriage. Anybody with me? Just three of you? Hello, come on. Somebody in this church service right now has just got a word from God. You know you did. It's normal to cry. It's normal to be angry. You're human. Sweetheart, let me say something to you today with all clarity mustered up inside me. The word of God has not changed. If God be for us, who can be against us? The last time I stood in this pulpit, I preached a message called Ugly Praise. Not realizing what was coming down the pike for Freedom Point. Not only Brother Benny, many other losses in the house. It ain't always a human you're having to bury. Sometimes it's your marriage you're having to bury. Sometimes it's your job you're having to bury. It's gone. Sometimes it can be your old pickup truck. It can be the family dog. Don't laugh, baby. They're like little humans in the house. They never say a word. Part of who you are. Reality of it all is this. I've been young. Now I'm old. Never. We just rushed through that pain, but never, ever. Have I seen the righteous forsaken? Receive begging bread. I'm going to say it on live stream. You throw me out the back door if you want to. It ain't nothing you ain't said outside the church. But that's true even when life sucks. That's just being real with you today. 
In that message of ugly praise, I told you God wants your praise without lipstick, eyeliner, and makeup. He wants your praise through bloodshot eyes. He wants it when all hells come against you and it seems like the devil has hosted the National Demon Convention in your front yard the buses broke down and nothing's going right. That's when he wants your praise.